from Compass Media Networks, this is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Texas versus D.C. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on this Tuesday, December 19th. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Police in Texas are now allowed to arrest migrants suspected of entering the U.S. illegally. The governor predicts crossings could drop by 75%. The Pentagon has announced a new operation against Houthi rebels operating from Yemen who are attacking commercial ships in the Red Sea. Apple will stop selling some version of the Apple Watch this week after losing a patent dispute with a medical technology company. And why Park Service officials may get rid of the wild horses at a popular tourist spot in North Dakota. The park is dedicated to Theodore Roosevelt and when he was out there in, in, in the Badlands um, there were wild horses at the time and he commented on them and you know thought they were beautiful <laughs> creatures so uh, you know there's this this tension between sort of the um, the culture of the area you know and, and wanting to preserve the way things were for Roosevelt. Joe Barrett at the Wall Street Journal on the battle over the non-native wild horses at Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is using a visit to Israel to announce a new operation against Houthi forces who've been launching attacks on ships in the southern Red Sea and Gulf of Aden. The Houthis operate out of Yemen and are funded by Iran. The multinational operation includes the U.K., Bahrain, Canada, France, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, and Spain. Here's Secretary Austin. These reckless Houthi attacks are a serious international problem, and they demand a firm international response. The announcement came after the USS Kearney responded yesterday to a distress call from a commercial vessel after it was attacked by multiple projectiles in the southern Red Sea. Houthi forces in Yemen have been targeting commercial ships in the Red Sea, claiming the attacks as revenge against Israel. Oil giant BP is the latest shipping firm to pause all shipments through the Red Sea due to security concerns. Texas is testing how far states can go when it comes to enforcing immigration laws. Republican Governor Greg Abbott is allowing police to arrest migrants who illegally cross the U.S. border and giving local judges authority to order them to leave the country. The goal of Senate Bill 4 is to stop the tidal wave of illegal entry into Texas. It creates a criminal offense for illegal entry into Texas from a foreign nation. The law, which takes effect in March, allows any Texas law enforcement officer to arrest people who are suspected of entering the country illegally. Once in custody, they could either agree to a Texas judge's order to leave the U.S. or be prosecuted on misdemeanor charges of illegal entry. Joe Biden's deliberate inaction has decimated America. The law adds another wrench into the mix over immigration. Lawmakers are trying to reach a deal on border security that would be tied to additional aid for Ukraine and Israel. An agreement in Washington before the end of the year seems doubtful. Officials in Iceland said earlier today that lava from a large volcanic eruption there appeared to flow away from the only town in the area, offering hope that homes would be spared. The eruption late yesterday on the Reykjanes Peninsula in southwest Iceland spewed lava and smoke more than 300 feet into the air after weeks of intense seismic activity. A statement from Icelandic government says the eruption does not present a threat to life, and in addition, there are no disruptions to flights to and from Iceland and international flight corridors remain open. Paul Siegel is professor of geophysics at Stanford University. There are a range of different styles of eruptions. Some produce a lot of ash. 
this is not one of those. This is producing lava flows, so they're very hot and they're very fluid. Authorities last month evacuated the nearly 4,000 inhabitants of the fishing town of Grindavik, about 25 miles southwest of the capital city, Reykjavik. Images and live streaming of the eruption shown by Reuters and others showed bright yellow, orange, and red lava in sharp contrast against the night sky. Hey everyone, it's Gordon Deal here to talk about some of the most fun you can have if you love sports, and that's with Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. You pick more than or less than on a handful of player projections and watch the winnings roll in. For example, mix and match football and basketball. Maybe your entry is Christian McCaffrey for more than 99 yards rushing and Jason Tatum for fewer than eight rebounds. If you know your stuff, you can turn 10 bucks into $250 with just a few taps. My friends and I love it. To get started and have your first deposit matched up to $100, go to prizepicks.com slash deal and use code deal. Also, if a player you pick gets injured and leaves the game, Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Your player is rebooted. prizepicks.com slash deal and use the code deal. That's prizepicks.com slash deal and the code deal. Again, prizepicks.com slash deal and code deal. Thanks for being with us. President Biden is facing a fight with his base over an emergency foreign aid spending package that may reach the Senate floor this week. The package, which would provide aid to Israel and Ukraine, but include tough border security measures in order to win over Republicans, could add to his problems generating enthusiasm among Democratic voters. Here's Alex Bolton, senior staff writer at The Hill. Alex set the scene. Well, I mean, the scene is that the president got a pretty strong backlash from uh, immigration advocates in the Democratic Party, namely Alex Padilla, the senator from California, Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey, Ben Ray Lujan, another Latino member, senator from New Mexico. They've all raised uh, alarm and concerns over the direction of the deal after it was reported that the president was going to support expanded expulsion authority and also expanded authority to detain migrants and to deport them. And now it looks like there probably won't be a deal before Christmas. Uh, the bottom line is uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas met with Senate negotiators on Sunday. Um, they talked you know, well, well into the late afternoon, but they left out a deal. Now there's a real question as to whether they'll get any deal, and the bets are that they won't. You reference in your story kind of the lack of enthusiasm among younger voters here. What's their issue with, with the president? There are a couple things going on here. Uh, in my, my story focused on the, the backlash that President Biden is getting from his base, both Latinos and then also younger voters, and it's on a range of issues. But what I was looking at is in this deal, as they were trying to put it together, the two main components were going to be uh, it, uh, more than $10 billion in military aid for Israel, as well as these uh, border security reforms. And those uh, those two components of the package really stir trouble with the president's base. I already talked about the backlash he's getting from Latinos in the party. Hispanic vote, obviously, is very important to Democrats. But also on the Israel front, um, younger progressive Democrats do not like the way that President Biden has handled the war in Israel, as they've seen mounting casualties in Gaza. Also, polls show that sentiments among younger Democrats have shifted in recent years. And now more of them are sympathetic towards Palestinians than they are towards uh, Israelis when it comes to the conflict over land, resources, etc. Mm. So we're seeing a shift uh, in the Democratic Party in, in sentiment away from Israel towards Palestine. Many younger progressives view this as a social justice issue. Uh, they don't like the Netanyahu regime. So 
at a time when polls show that President Biden has real trouble uh, generating enthusiasm amongst his own base, this deal, as it was coming together or has been coming together, not only alienates Hispanic voters, but also alienates young liberal voters. And that's a problem for the president when he already has, as polls show, significant trouble generating enthusiasm from the Democratic base. Of course, to win an election, you need your base to show up. Yeah. We're speaking with Alex Bolton, senior staff writer at The Hill. His piece is called Biden Faces Battle with Democratic Base Over Israel, Ukraine, and the Border. Ultimately, if Donald Trump wins the Republican presidential nomination, do then those those base voters, like, do the problems go away for Mr. Biden and they rally around him? Well, that's kind of what the calculus has been in the Democratic Party so far, is that, you know, no matter how unenthusiastic Democratic voters may be about Biden, um, the prospect of a second Trump turn will will turn them out in big numbers, and that's going to that's what's going to carry them to victory. But you know that that's a gamble, and we saw in the 2016 election that the Democrats made a similar calculation. They assumed that Trump was so bad in their view that uh, it would uh, mobilize enough support to kind of push Hillary Clinton over the finish line. So Hillary Clinton's campaign got a little lazy. I don't know if you remember, but they kind of took Wisconsin and Michigan for granted that yeah. year. Lo and behold. President Trump won it. Why? Democratic turnout in black areas, particularly Detroit, Wayne County, uh, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia were down. So part of the reason why Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 to Trump, who Democrats viewed at the time as an unelectable candidate, is because they had a turnout problem. So I think it would be smart for the Democrats to uh, not ignore their base. And if their base has problems with some of the president's policies, whether it's the border security move or some of the funding for Israel, then that's a problem. Thanks, Alex. Alex Bolton, senior staff writer at The Hill. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The U.S. has unveiled a multinational naval force to protect merchant vessels in the Red Sea after Houthi rebel attacks threaten the Suez Canal's central role in global trade. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says the effort will include the U.K., Bahrain, France, Norway, and other countries. This morning, we've launched Operation Prosperity Guardian. Many of the world's biggest shipping lines, oil producers, and other cargo owners in recent days started diverting vessels from the region, prompting a spike in oil prices and insurance rates. Number two. Texas is set to begin arresting and potentially deporting migrants under a bill Republican Governor Greg Abbott has signed into law, escalating the state's conflict with the federal government over authority of the U.S. border. For repeat offenders, it creates the offense of illegal reentry with a potential prison sentence term of up to 20 years. The measure makes it a state crime for anyone without authorization to be in the U.S. to cross into Texas outside of a designated port of entry. The law is set to take effect in March, but legal experts say it's likely to be preempted by the powers of the federal government, which has the authority to set and enforce immigration law. Number three. A federal appeals court has rejected a request from Donald Trump's former White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to move his Georgia trial on election racketeering charges to federal court. Meadows, who was charged with Trump and 17 others in what prosecutors say was a conspiracy to reverse Joe Biden's 2020 victory in Georgia, argued the crimes he is accused of committing were part of his federal job. A federal judge rejected his request to move the case from state to federal court, and Meadows appealed. This court unanimously rejected Meadows' appeal. 
It's not your imagination. Travis Kelsey has been everywhere. The Kansas City Chiefs tight end has appeared in 375 commercials aired during NFL games so far this season, more than any other athlete, actor, or other household name. Kelsey beat Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes by a margin of 34. Kevin Miles, better known as Jake from State Farm, took third place with 247 ad appearances. Marketers like Kelsey for the approachability and comic timing he showcased this year on his podcast and Saturday Night Live. I also like Andy Reid in those State Farm commercials. Oh, listen, yeah, I, they're pretty good. I find him to be pretty funny, too. Thanks, Jen. If you want to give yourself the gift of adventure this winter but aren't sure where to go, there are some great places on the Internet to look that will help you stay within a budget. Here's Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. Zach, help us out. So I was looking at tools like the Explore feature on Google Flights or the Search for Anywhere feature on Skyscanner. And what these tools basically do is you can put in your travel dates, you can put in your departure airport, and they will show you where flights can go uh, within your budget on whenever whatever dates you're looking to travel on. And so let's say you want you like get bitten by the wanderlust bug and want to go somewhere, but you don't really care where, you just want to get out of your own house. Hmm. Um, this is a really good way to see what deals are available, especially last minute. Um, and, you know, it can unlock some new destinations for you as well. That's kind of cool. Uh, it's, it's, do both, both, uh, both sites do the same thing, the same approach? It's a little bit different between the two. I mean, the results are essentially the same. The key difference for me is that on Google Flights, you can actually put in your maximum budget, whereas on Skyscanner, you just kind of look to see what's available and they're arranged by price. And so obviously, once you hit the cutoff on the results page, then you don't want to look for more expensive flights. Wow. Did you find, uh, did you find an example of, uh, of a bargain? This is probably a little nerdy and in the weeds, but essentially to keep my frequent flyer status for next year, I had to spend like $160 with my preferred airline. If I didn't spend that money by the end of this month, I was going to lose my status for 2024. And so I basically went on Google flights, put in $160, chose a weekend day that I knew I could travel and just saw what was available. Uh, and so, I am going to be taking a trip to Montreal very soon. Uh, I will be on the ground for less than one hour, uh, and I should be able to cinch my airline status for 2024. Oh, We're speaking with Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. He's written a piece called Cheap Flights and Surprise Destinations, How to Find Last-Minute Deals. You referenced a couple of other spots, too, where you could do this. One called a Thrifty Traveler and the other one called Going. What about them? Right, so those are a little bit different because they are services like essentially email lists that will send you deals when they become available. So I haven't used those for searching for flights specifically, uh, but rather they kind of keep an eye out for deals from your home airport for you and then push a notification to you uh, if there's something available. And I think that for the ones that track uh, your home airport, you may need to pay a little bit a uh, fee for that service, uh, but they also just have more general lists where they'll publish flight deals kind of across the board, and then you can pick the ones that are relevant to you. What about the, you made a reference before about uh, last minute stuff. You can find a last minute deal on some of these sites if you just decide, you know what, uh, in two days from now, I need to get out. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I wow. think that, that that's a really good 
feature or a really good way to use all of these services. I think both Going and Thrifty Traveler uh, publish last minute flight deals all the time. And then Skyscanner and Google Flights, you can do your own search and see what's available, you know, as soon as today or tomorrow. Thanks, Zach. Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermal regulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. The top stories and expert interviews that make sense of what you care about. This is America's First News, this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Tuesday, December 19. Gordon Deal with Jennifer Koshenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. Texas gives power to police to arrest anybody suspected of crossing into the U.S. illegally. The U.S. will protect ships operating in the Red Sea. No deal on border security and Ukraine funding. Hunter Biden's first court appearance on tax charges will be January 11th in L.A. The man who crashed into President Biden's security detail has been charged with DUI. Seahawks over the Eagles in Monday Night Football. And the organization that collects gifts for foster kids even after they age out. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by Dell. Holiday event is one of Dell's biggest sales of the year. Save on laptops like the XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform and more. Shop now at dell.com deals. The terror attack by Hamas on Israel in early October and Israel's military response has plunged three generations of at least one family into mourning over the lives lost on both sides and push them to wrestle with thorny issues related to the Jewish state. More from Ariane Campo-Flores, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Ariane, how about the Sippy and Wurtschafter family? This was a you know really interesting family. Um, very smart, very uh, engaged with issues, very political, very inclined to debate and dialogue and argue and discuss <laughs> and... Um, and so, you know, really what the idea here was, was to look at how these multiple generations of this one particular family are wrestling with and digesting and making sense of the war between Israel and Hamas and the ways in which they view Israel itself and the Jewish state and how their particular lived experiences over the course of their lives uh, in Israel uh, their visits there and, and what they experienced there, how that uh, helped inform and shape the way they're, they they see the country and the way they look at the current conflict. It does seem to be generational in many ways, the differences. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, polling has shown repeatedly over the years, that, is that there is this 
there tends to be a generational divide when it comes to how connected people feel to Israel and the, the, the importance that they attach, the emotional attachment that they have to the country. And it's, it's sort of understandable um, in the sense that, you know, for, for older generations, for the grandparents or great grandparents, they remember a time when Israel was, when there was no Israel. Yeah. And then a time when Israel was starting to get established and when the country seemed very vulnerable still and, and insecure. Um, whereas for younger generations, um, they have known and come to associate Israel as a real power. In, in the Middle East and a, a place where whose politics in recent years has really moved to the right. And so for like, you know, liberal college age st students, uh, that's something that that rubs them wrong. Mm. So um, when it comes to this family in particular, um, you did see some some of that um, in the sense that, for instance, the, the grandmother that I spoke with, um, she lived with the family when the, when the kids were very small in Jerusalem at the time of the Yom Kippur War, yeah. and 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 saw what that uh, that you know she felt marked by that experience. Mm. Uh, the father spent time uh, in high school as an exchange student, went to rabbinical school uh, his first year there, and so he has that those sort of formative experiences. And then for the younger ones. Um, you know, the, the, the kids, they, you know, they went on a trip in 2019 and what they saw uh, was the situation in the occupied territories and what life was like in the West Bank and what they considered the real um, dehumanization and second class status of Palestinians experience. And so that was formative for them. We're speaking with Ariane Campo Flores, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. His story is called How One Jewish American Family Wrestles Over Israel. Uh, it's it's an intense story. Um, also, th this is a family, by the way, who, at least in a light moment in your story, said, uh, yeah, you know that theory of not discussing politics and religion at dinner? That's not us. We do it. <laughs> Yeah, which is really, you know, one of the things that I thought was uh, was just so fascinating and so so interesting and great about uh, this family is that they really don't shy away from these issues. Um, and, I, and I think it's, you know, um, part of the way that the, you know, the ethic that the family has um, in the sense that they um, they really believe in thinking critically about issues. They really believe in expressing your opinions. They really believe about in, in engaging and debating and discussing, but doing so respectfully and yeah. doing so in a way that maintains, um, you know, the integrity of the family. And, um, and that's something that they've really adhered to uh, through a lot of really difficult conversations at a time when obviously this is a, you know, a war that is just full of, of, of atrocities and that is very, very painful. Thanks, Ariane. Ariane Kempo Flores, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. The federal government might remove wild horses from Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota, riling fans who follow drama of the herd. Why would they get rid of such beautiful animals? Here's Joe Barrett, senior Midwest correspondent at The Wall Street Journal, who paid a visit to tiny Medora, North Dakota. Joe, what's going on? Well, the park has about 200 wild horses uh, that have been there since it was formed in 1947. 
and uh, you know people love them. I mean, it's really the park is you know one of the biggest tourist attractions in all of North Dakota, and the number one thing that people talk about is how much they love seeing these you know these beautiful horses running around free. And the Park Service uh, wants to get rid of them. They, uh, they 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 say they're an invasive species, and they really should uh, you know manage the park in a way that benefits the uh, the local wildlife like bison and elk and stuff like that. Wow, because the horses are non-native. Is that right? Yeah, I mean there were horses. There was a, a, a relative of the horse that left North America about ten thousand years ago, and then uh, and then you know they were bred and and trained and everything by humans for you know thousands of years, and then brought back to North America uh, by the Europeans. And so you know they're basically a different animal now, and you know they don't have a natural predator. They they eat the grass a little bit lower than the other grazers out there, so make it tougher on the other animals. So yeah, they're. You know they're really they're really not native. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So uh, this is hurting the ecosystem. I presume, as you said, they they eat the grass lower than other uh, grazers. Um, but and then and then the drought factors into this also, correct? Well, in the West, especially, that's that's why there's so much pressure, uh, 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 you know, uh, on managing the wild horses out west. But this this park in North Dakota, you know. The, the park service itself can't really say that the horses are causing a lot of damage. It's, it's just more this idea that they want to get things back to the way things should be naturally. You know, of course, the people out there, the, the, the park is dedicated to Theodore Roosevelt. And when he was out there in, in, in the Badlands, um, there were wild horses at the time. And he commented on them and, you know, thought they were beautiful <laughs> creatures. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's this, this tension between sort of the, um, the culture of the area, you know, and, and wanting to preserve the way things were for Roosevelt. And then now these more scientific, you know, ways of like, well, we got to get rid of the uh, invasive species. So, Wow. We're speaking with Joe Barrett, senior Midwest correspondent at The Wall Street Journal. He's written a piece called A National Park Soap Opera Faces Cancellation of Its Equine Stars. And that's the National Park Service perhaps going to get rid of many of the wild horses that roam Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota. Uh, How do you get rid of horses if that's the way they choose to go? Well, they say they would round them up and uh, try to uh, place them with um, some of the tribes out there or other organizations uh, or do sales to individuals um, and, um, uh, you know, in in the last uh, sort sort of the last option would be euthanasia. But local businesses in North Dakota rely on this, correct? Really the tourist angle anyway? Yeah, no, this little town of Medora has 120 permanent residents and the park gets about 700,000 visitors a year. So the place just, you know, completely transforms during the the tourist season. And uh, yeah, everybody out there really relies on this. And then, then, you know, the horses also have these like super fans who... um, who you know know all of their names and yeah. they uh, and you know the, the the horses have these really you know interesting uh, familial bonds. Thanks, Joe. Joe Barrett, senior Midwest correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. Keep in mind, if you've missed anything, you can check out a podcast of today's show. It's available every day on the This Morning with Gordon Deal app, plus on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The most senior U.S. intelligence and defense officials are beginning a new round of diplomacy aimed at resurrecting talks to release hostages still held by Hamas in Gaza and bringing Israel's war there to a conclusion. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. So we will continue to stand up for Israel's bedrock right to defend itself. 
We will also continue to urge the protection of civilians during conflict and to increase the flow of humanitarian aid into Gaza. The talks gain more urgency following the killing Friday by Israeli forces in Gaza of three hostages as they held up a white flag, an incident that has strengthened public calls in Israel to give priority to the release of hostages over other military objectives. Number two. At least four people are dead after a powerful storm brought dangerous flooding and travel disruptions across the East Coast and knocked out power to more than 620,000 homes and businesses in the Northeast. This resident of Fairfield, New Jersey, is worried about residual flooding. When it comes, it usually comes like a day, two days later after they say it, and it's bad, it's bad. So just don't want it happening again. The storm system left a man in Pennsylvania and a woman in South Carolina, both in their 70s, dead after their vehicles were submerged in high water. Two other deaths were reported in Maine and Massachusetts. Restoring power to parts of Massachusetts is expected to take days. Number three. A volcano has erupted in Iceland after a string of earthquakes rattled the area Monday evening. The eruption occurred about 30 miles southwest of the country's capital, Reykjavik. Katrin Jakob's daughter is Iceland's prime minister. We are working to secure housing because 1,200 homes, people uh, do not have the guaranteed housing, so we are working on that. Lava is spewing hundreds of feet in the air and can be seen on nearby web cameras. Those Nike Air Jordan 3s that were anonymously dropped in the donation chute of a Portland, Oregon shelter have sold for $50,800, more than double the high end of the predicted sale price. The sneakers were one of just a few custom pairs that had been made for filmmaker Spike Lee. All proceeds from yesterday's auction will benefit the Portland Rescue Mission, which has served people struggling with homelessness, hunger, and addiction since 1949. How about that? Not oh, bad. Very good story. Very good. Thank you, Jen. When you're a child in foster care, family traditions and gifts for the holidays might be distant dreams, but an organization in South Florida is working to make them a reality. Ahead of the holidays each year, volunteers at Jewish Adoption and Family Care Options work to make the wishes of foster kids come true. Jafco's CEO, Sarah Franco, told CBS News that each year the group holds a Hanukkah gift drive where people can buy presents from kids' wish lists. Although they're a Jewish agency, They say Hanukkah gift drive, but they really mean holiday, and they honor the background of every child they have. Kids who celebrate Hanukkah will have a gift to open on each of the eight nights of the holiday, and kids who celebrate Christmas will have a gift to open on the 25th. And when kids age out of foster care, Jafco still sends them gifts. Jafco says they don't know if anyone is sending them anything, even when they're older, because a lot of children aren't able to reconcile with their parents even after they're 18. Jafco, by the way, started more than 30 years ago as a foster care organization that focused on matching kids with families that practiced the same faith. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.